Hi, this is Jim Sloan, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hello, you are currently listening to Orchata Squad with your host, Veronica Fernandez Abrado and Ricardo. Alvarado? I don't know. <laughs> I have stage fright. <laughs> yes, and this is our first episode of a four-part series or four-episode thing, right? A, f- a four-part mini-series. A four-part mini-series <laughs> for Hispanic Heritage Month that starts in September 15th. So... Let's get started here. And so I just want, let's like start off by saying a little bit about ourselves. We're siblings. We're siblings. (laughs) Yeah. We have different last names because my doctor messed up when I was born. He was like, you know Aside from you being born. (laughs) Aside from having you uh, assisting in your birth. (laughs) That was his first mistake. His second was obviously giving, what would be your second last name, your first last name. (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we're from woodburn oregon Mm -hmm. we are first generation Mm mexican-american and our parents uh, migrated here from mexico our dad came is from veracruz mexico which which is a coastal state tropical tropical very a lot of palm trees and our mom's from jalisco mexico which is what would you even say? It's just dry. It's dry, but it has like palm trees. It's just you know, like Puerto Vallarta's there. I know very little about geography. It's like it, I mean, like it has it has its coastal areas and it has very like dry areas. So I don't know. It's not like Veracruz where it's like all around like green. It's like or it's like okay. Well, how does it would be like more like Cali? I think. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Definitely more like Cali. And so, to start off this podcast, besides the fact that we just told you a history of our family and we're siblings. Just a brief overview. A brief overview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get a little bit deeper into this podcast and just talk about um, Hispanic Heritage Month goes from September 15th to October 15th. Also, oh, it's like a month. Midway, it's like it's like a, a, why is it a midway month? You know, I don't understand why it's no, a midway month. Yes, though. Why is it? That's um, so, why can't it just start September 1st until so, like the end of September instead of like September 5th? That's so weird. Why? Why? Can't, it's like they don't want to give us a full month, <laughs> right? No, like, like, it's like, they're, like, <laughs> they're like, we'll give you a month, but it's not going <laughs> to be. It's not going to be the month you want it to be. It's going to be like, we'll give you September 15th through October 15th. We're not going to give you like. But we're like, no, like, what? <laughs> it's like they're going to lag the satisfaction of, like, like, yes, we get, like, all of September, like, all of October. <laughs> and we get, like, half of September and then half of October. It's like, it's like teasing. The man always has to take a little something away. <laughs> and in this case, it's, like, two weeks out of a month for both months. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to point out there that... um I myself am not a hundred percent like a big fan of the whole idea of a Hispanic Heritage Month. For one thing, like Hispanics, brown people in general have just contributed so much to like we are a part of American history. We made establishments here, we have our foundations, like American history is what it is because of us. Mm-hmm. And so like I feel like that should just be 
taught not just in one month, but like an entire curriculum. I don't think it's taught in one month. Isn't it like just appreciated? It's all appreciated in one month, but then we're erased for the rest of the year. So until Cinco de Mayo. That's that's the one day I wish. (laughs) I wish we were erased. (laughs) Well, no. Then in Mexico, Independence was not in September. Yeah, it's in September. No, it's in September twenty twenty seventh. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they uh, they did that. Mexico's independence isn't celebrated in the United States. No, like they're just celebrated in Mexico. It's not. Yeah, mm-hmm. Definitely, like yeah. Anyways, it's just a month acknowledging a like the brown people, and that gets us into another thing that like I'm not 100 percent like into is the whole title of Hispanic versus Latino. And in this podcast, I will try Latinx. my hardest to use the term Latinx, mm-hmm. which is a gender neutral term. Amen. And the difference between the word Hispanic and Latinx is. Because everyone always has questions about it. Hispanic normally um, discusses and is directed towards people who are come from Spanish-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. And so... It's the broadest. It's like... Very broad. Mm, but to an extent. I to see. an extent. Because like the thing is, like, like, now it's used to the whole idea that, like, oh, hey, like, you Hispanics over there that's, like, south of the border. And it's, like... Okay, but like a lot of our countries do not speak Spanish. Portuguese, Portuguese, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Belize, they like they speak French. Oh, they like, Mm-hmm. Oh shit. That's why I like I use I like to use the word Latinx because Latinx just talks about Latin America as a whole. Mm-hmm. But even the term Latinx is problematic because of the fact that like, honestly, when it comes down to like um, a continent or an area that's like filled with like people who people of color. Um, we no longer actually just call them by their country's origin name. Generalized. We are generalized to an entire area, which is happens to us people from Africa. Not I. I think if you're born in the United States, anything outside of the United States, I, and then leading more into that kind of narrowing that to like the sort of like a Caucasian centric concept, it's easy to generalize if you're white. Mm-hmm. And Pe- another thing to like really keep in mind here is just that like. When it comes down to people of European who come, like, from England, they'll be like, oh, I'm England, so I'm English. And then they want to, like, direct that towards you. But like, Yeah. It's because I think, to me, it's like if you're born in the United States, and I'm not generalizing, but if you're born in the United States and you're white, you, I feel like they, they have more of a mentality that they have a more complex roots than people of color. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, I'm this, 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 and this. So, therefore, you cannot generalize. Unlike, like, if you're born, like, under Hispanic or Latinx um, culture, or uh, that's where your roots come from, it's a little bit easier for for it to be generalized in their perspective because it's a little less complex. But it's, like, they don't take into consideration the concept of colonization. They don't take into consideration the concept that um, we're very uh, intermixed within other cultures in other countries, Spain, France, Germany. I mean, mm-hmm. where do you think we got the accordion from? That's very true. Mm. And that's going to be in another episode when we dive deeper into accordion and music descendant from European countries. Mm-hmm. But um, we also have Asian. Oh, yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah, we do have Ooh. a lot of Asian. And Afro Latinx in Africa, like drums. And anyways, we'll get into it. We'll get into <laughs> it. It's a lot. <laughs> and and that's why like I really appreciate um, having um, this 
opportunity to create a podcast for people for her Hispanic Heritage Month. And like our people, aka like Latinx brown people have done our entire history here in America. We will make do with like what the opportunities we have. Like we'll make the best of that. And that's why we have this podcast. To make up for the to like make up for the lack <laughs> of ta- like the fact that we don't have like history taught this entire year. <laughs> Except for, like, one month. Well, are we in the history books? Cesar Chavez. A little bit. A little quarter of if a paragraph. From, depending where you're coming from. If you're coming from California, they're going to teach yeah, you that. Yeah, they're definitely going to teach you Cesar Chavez. But if you're coming from, like, Kentucky. Can, oh, I have no idea. Oregon's <laughs> very strange with their history books, yeah, too. Yeah. Like we did I not learn about the L.A. walkouts or, like... No, we didn't. I don't think we learned too much about, like, Latinx civil rights movement maybe like the chicano movement brown pride movement but that was only just a brief sentence within the civil rights movement which mm-hmm. was a little bit more narrow focus on the african-american civil rights movement and, and even then like african-american civil rights mu- movement and their contributions to um american history is very narrowed down to like a few paragraphs mm-hmm. which is like i think like one on. section like a, it's section. Like a small section after it's slavery like, in between slavery in between Nixon era Ooh. and post slavery, we jumped like two, we jumped like 150 years, a hundred years. I don't know, 150, I guess. You like people's uh, ethnic history is based off like a paragraph. It's like, oh yeah, slavery happened from like 17 something to like 1862 or 1863, and that's it. Like that's <laughs> the two <laughs> generations covered in like a sentence. But I think that's technically like the concept of history. In in the most part, I don't know. I'll go front. You know what? <laughs> no it's true it's it's a, it's a lot to talk about and our podcast is about like mm-hmm. 30 minutes so <laughs> that's why we have four parts to this podcast so, yeah. four episodes and, and no music and no music but you know what like we like i said earlier we'll make the best out of what we have <laughs> <laughs> like our people have always done we've always had music so i don't know (laughs) 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 our people have always had music (laughs) anyways so a little segment we're doing today and what we'll probably be doing in in more episodes is we are going to highlight um latinx figures in american history and what we think about them what they have contributed and we will treat them with respect and honor and yeah because there's a lot of names that people just don't know and we just want to like highlight all of them so we will open the floor up for ricardo to say his figure that he wants to talk about so take it okay uh mine is uh the first uh hispanic or latinx director to everyone in academy award for best director and that's alfonso Cuaron, who won uh in 2013 yeah, 2013 uh, Academy Award for Gravity. You know, I feel like he deserved it beforehand. Uh, and I'm a film major. Like, I graduated with, I studied film in college. So, like, I know a lot about him, and he was very much an influen- influential piece. Definitely, when I make movies, or just in terms of concept of, like, how people, like, when they see a movie, it's escapism. And so, like, very few directors, in my mind can both do a job as inspire me as a filmmaker as well as like create the concept of escapism for me mentally so like i could dive into the film and be like okay holy shit um this film the story and the narrative is very like drawn into like this uh, surrealism and at the same time i'm like taking notes 
uh, mentally. I'm like, okay, how that? How did he shoot that scene? Or how did he create the concept of tension? How did he shoot his master close up, medium shots? And I think what was interesting, and I, I'm talking about like you know, his movies range from his first film, Tu y solo tu pareja came out '91. It was his first independent film. To recently, his most recent film was Gravity, with a uh, the Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, which came out in 2013. Uh, but the, he also made like Children of Men in 07. I mean 06. And then he made it to Mama Tambien. And then a little other fun fact. In 04, he directed The Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry Potter movie, the third installment. Um, so, like, he's definitely dived into his own frequency of film. You know, he goes up and down in, like, terms of studio making or whatever. And, yeah, no, that's a, that's my favorite. I don't know if that's a good figure. That is an excellent <laughs> figure, know. honestly. <laughs> and, and, yeah, like I said, like, he was the first his like latinx like mexico and mexican born director to win academy for academy award for best director uh the following year after that was uh alejandro gonzalez Zenaretu who directed birdman and uh the revenant uh which was like a big win and then you have like and emmanuel lubeski chivo who won best cinematographer like four times in a row which is like crazy it's like mexican like mexican stay winning in terms of like the filmmaking world i don't know I don't know if that's a good... That That is a really good um, like analysis and Latinx thing. And like what I found really interesting about it is just that... Um, I remember you showing me this when I was like younger. There's a trio. There's the Three oh, the, Musketeers. The, the Three Amigos. The Three Amigos. <laughs> the three Musketeers. <laughs> do, you, do you mind like explaining a little bit more about them? Oh, uh, yeah. The Three Amigos is a production-based company. I don't know if it still exists anymore, but they definitely still, like, they're very much like a... The thing about filmmaking is you have the concept of fraternities for frats, which you would be considered frats in the film world, because you have very much trios uh, in their based era that help each other build and create great films. Like, they criticize each other, and they help with the narrative, or they help edit, and they pretty much just help each other, build each other up. Uh, from the get-go and that's uh three directors two of who i've already mentioned is uh alfonso Cuarón and alejandro gonzalez and Aretu. and then the third one's guillermo del toro who directed pacific rim in 2013 he also directed pants Labyrinth. he also directed a recent movie i can't uh crimson peak it's a horror movie that came out maybe like in 20 2015 2016 uh he directed Blade 2. I'm pretty sure that's not one of his brightest. He's the least of my favorite, but he's still really good. Uh, I feel like visually, like his... Hellboy. Um, Hellboy. Hellboy yeah. 1 and 2. Yeah, he directed and wrote that. And he was about to direct the Hobbit trilogy, but then like that was taken away from him by Peter Jackson for financial reasons or New Line Cinema. I don't know. I could go on forever, but whatever. And yet, no, they're... Um, I think a funny story. And they don't really... I mean, you could even watch them. They have an interview, all three of them together on Charlie Rose. And they all like kind of just talk about like you could see their chemistry and their relationship. And then they and then, like when Alphonse Cuarón won his best like best director award, he like dedicated it to like Alejandro González Iñárritu and Guillermo del Toro. And then when Alejandro González Iñárritu won the best director award, he dedicated it to you know the priors of Guillermo del Toro and Alphonse Cuarón, which is actually pretty cool because it's just like that's just how close they are. And if you look at the credits for each of their films and the ending, this is like special thanks to you know the other two depending on who's making the movie because they're always like um just helping each other out and uh 
that's really cool that you know you have these filmmakers from three different because three different areas because I think Alfonso Cuarón's from Ciudad de México, he's Chilango. Alejandro González Reto, I can't tell you where he's from, but I know Guillermo del Toro's from Jalisco, which is where our mom's from. Yeah, he's like super light skinned, super. And that's actually something we will get into. And I know, like, some of our audience might not know, like, why we mentioned the fact that they're light-skinned with, and, <laughs> and why that would, like, matter with, with the state that they're from. But it matters. Trust us. Yeah, it matters. And what is it? Am I talking too fast? I don't know. I feel like I was giving, like, a really quick – or I feel like a professor <laughs> giving a lecture. I don't know. Oh, no, it's all interesting information. What I find, like, even more interesting and, like – grabbing about it is just like you know um there's this thing where it's like the crossover which like crossover from like when it happens in cinema and media in general Mm -hmm. of like really great artists from mexico try to cross over to america because it has hollywood and hollywood is like the biggest thing well that's an interesting story because they were very mexico based because alejandro cruzadas and eretu's first film was amores perros and that was a mexican mexico distributed and released film and so was it tambien um, but Guillermo de Toro was the very first filmmaker to cross over to the Hollywood scene before any of the other two. Um, and he's the only one that's never won an Oscar. Like he's never won an Oscar at all because his narratives are a little lame. I'm not gonna lie, and I'm not even gonna say no offense because <laughs> you gotta just look at his films and be like, oh, there it was okay. Yeah. I think he's more notable. Like his most notable work is Pan's Labyrinth, and even that's like a remake from a 1980s film with David Bowie. Um, no, yeah, it's definitely a crossover. And I think the interesting story is the only reason they crossed over to Hollywood was because Guillermo de Toro's, I mean, they moved, to, they all three of them moved to California and Los Angeles because Guillermo de Toro's dad got kidnapped. Oh, really? For ransom. Uh-huh. This was like probably in the 90s because, you know, Guillermo de Toro obviously had fame now. And so then his dad got kidnapped and he was held for ransom. And then like Guillermo de Toro paid the ransom and his dad was released. And then like right after that, Guillermo de Toro like, told his other two friends, like, we got to get out of Mexico. It's dangerous for, like, people like us to stay in an area like this because we're making money. We're having, like, we're there's credit to our name. We're, we're becoming established people, not just in Mexico, but worldwide. And obviously, we're more endangered than any typical other person. And that's regardless because people in Mexico are endangered always. And so they all made the move to Los Angeles right after Grandma de Toro's dad was kidnapped, except Alfonso Cuaron, who made the move to England. He, like, moved to England, so he lives in England. Um, but Alejandro Gonzalez and Retus in Los Angeles, same as Guillermo del Toro. And that's so interesting because it really, like, plays on the whole idea of migration. Mm-hmm. They, like, they literally had to move, like, so many. Mm-hmm. Like, so many of, of like, our people mm-hmm. continues to have to move because of, like, these dangers mm-hmm. from their homeland. And it's not like they wanted to. Mm-hmm. It was just, like... It was like a force thing too. I mean, yeah. I mean, like it's yeah, definitely the concept of migration. It's like the fear and danger, danger. I guess yeah, of Mex of the Mexican society. That's like you know you have um, going from kidnap from kidnapping, which you hear all the time, to like the war on drugs, and the cartel, and definitely um, actually you know I think it's interesting that it had an effect on artists as much as to have them migrate because it just shows you that power. Power and money doesn't really protect you as much in Mexico. If anything, you're more endangered. Mm-hmm. So it's like, unless you're a chapo, then. Unless you're a chapo, but he's the one doing the danger. 
Yeah. And also setting fashion trends. That is a thing we will go into later, but it is it is a thing. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for yeah. yeah that was that a good. I don't know if that, that was that was like a super good analysis of it. Like I learned things. I'm sure people are learning things. I I feel like audience. I, yeah, I feel like I went a little fast. <laughs> you went a little fast, but you know, first episode we're we're warming up to y'all. Um, uh, stage fright. <laughs> <laughs> he, he almost peed himself. <laughs> peed myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's yours? Okay, so my um role person who I want to really uh, really highlight. Just beforehand, just know that you're like going up against my great overview because I just, <laughs> just, like I, I like I like I mentioned one, but then I focused on three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the thing is here is this is really interesting that we both picked people who highlight um, aspects of like our career that we really want to go into. There's a journalist. Well, it, she is a writer. The Trump. Who? Trump has a book. You know what? Power of Money. We don't need that negativity <laughs> here. <laughs> not Trump? not in the Orchata squad. <laughs> so it's not. It's it's, it's not Trump. <laughs> <laughs> she. <laughs> You can't take away the credentials that he doesn't. He didn't write a book. I mean, you can't. Can't. I mean, yeah. Did he get help writing this book? Yeah, he definitely got help. Okay. And then have you, you read it? Have you read it? No, I have not. Why not? I will not spend <laughs> money. <laughs> you just read like a book. just check it out in your local library. I've never read it. Supposedly, he also has a biography. Ooh, his ex-wife's biography is really gruesome. Gruesome? In what way? Like, paper cuts like he like paper cut her with the money that he had or what did he do did well, you let's it? just say it's gruesome more than the prince biography i don't even want to know whether or not prince biography <laughs> is gruesome but anyways it's one thing to know here that my older brother ricardo is a huge prince Trump head Stop Stop that. We, we don't want that negativity here, Ricardo. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yes, he's he's a prince head. Prince head, yeah. Mm-hmm. Obsessed. A little bit. A, a little bit. Psh, you'll, you'll figure it out. He's going to drop You know, I wish princes. Trump, I mean, not Trump, but <laughs> I wish Prince was like at least a quarter Hispanic so I could like mention him. As one of the figures. Or like highlight him for the entire... Well, you found a way to mention him now. <laughs> so, okay, now that we mentioned him, let's like deconstruct the concept of if I was your girlfriend lyrics and its concept of de- desensitizing uh, masculine standards in relationships. Okay, let's go. One, two, three. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Purple okay. rain. Can I do that? Can I sing for... No. You know what? Maybe... Purple rain. Purple, no. I, I think we should stop here, no. just in case of legal matters. How about when doves cry? <laughs> you know, Ricardo, we're moving on. <laughs> okay, Little so. Red Corvette. Okay, so our um. Your. Or mine, yes. yes not our. I already mentioned mine. Okay. Curious. Yeah. So this is a Mexican novelist, screenwriter, and pol- politician. Oh yeah. Um, like Trump. <laughs> you, you, you need to stop this <laughs> I will make you walk home <laughs> um, Okay I might slaughter her last name But um, Her name is um, Laura Escuvel 
Tant que me, I don't know. No? Yeah, I think it's a Scouvel. Anyway, she is the writer of um, her first novel, which became a major hit, is called Como Agua para Chocolate. Oh, is it from the movie? Yeah, it was a novel first. What, uh, Garcia? 90, yeah. Yeah. Or was it 80s? I think it was... No, it was 1991. 1990, 1990, 1991, or 92. So very... Kind of sexualized in a way? It's kind of like a sexual... Oh, well, okay, so I mentioned this because... The movie in itself is my favorite movie of like it's not never seen it. it's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's one of my favorite movies it's of top, all time. It's your top two and it's not two. What? <laughs> it's your top two and it's not two. And it's not two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I really enjoy it because it, if you don't know anything about this book. Which I don't um yes. Well the just the plot. The plot is takes place in Victorian era Mexico? Not really, like pre-revolution Mexico. Benito like, Juarez era? Around that time. It's like... like Spanish colonized Mexico? Mm, no, it's just like trying to get their independence Mexico, like Pancho Villa, Mexico. Okay. Yeah, and so... It's Victorian, no, okay, late early 1900s. Mm-hmm, early 1900s. And so it takes place in that and... um. It's main character, whose name is Tita, who I named my cat <laughs> after, because <laughs> I'm such a big fan. Um, she is born into like a moderately wealthy family, not like too wealthy, but like they have like a rancho, like mm. a farm. And so, um, but she is the last, she is the um, youngest girl of the family. And this happens in like tradition, not in all of Mexico, but in Mexican families the youngest girl will not get married and they will spend their entire lives taking care of their mother. This entire movie, I mean, movie and book, like its plot is to like, in its own ways, breaks down the patriarchy and machismo in Mexico because Tita falls in love with a man when she wants to marry him, but like she can't because she is the youngest. Mm. And like, it's a, the book and the film is over like, ooh, more than like twenty that years, um, span like a time the period timeline, narrative the timeline narrative, mm-hmm. yeah, the narrative timeline, and I don't know it's like really really interesting, and so it's about mommy issues. Yeah, technically about mommy issues, but the thing is here is just like the it's a family of all women because the father died when she was very young, and so. The, the mom's like really mean and terrible mm. but she has her own reasons because she's not only like a she would be considered the um villain antagonist mm. but she is also considered like she has her all these complexities to her like all mm. the women characters have their complexities mm-hmm. yeah and i really really enjoy the movie mm. i really really enjoy the plot i really really enjoy everything about it and what's especially for the movie it has these like scenes Mm -hmm. that are just like it's basically a cookbook like Mm -hmm. tita spends her entire life in the kitchen cooking and so she like channels all her emotional energy there because she can't be with the person she loves she has like mental breakdowns and like it talks over mental health within like the mexico which if you know anything about like particularly mexican um feelings or like stigma around mental health is just like 
like you you don't let people know you don't have mental breakdowns because especially in like areas of Mexico where we're from like they're very poor and so like or where our parents are from they're like moderately poor so it's like the concept that Mexicans don't have or like Latinos like we don't have time to yeah, we don't have, have, time mental, to, have mental don't have health time. issues yeah. and whatnot but yeah and so like it breaks down all these things and it's really interesting and it also does it in a very dramatic way Ooh. like it's like a novella Ooh. But it's like super smart. Is there, a, is there like a rose and a wind blowing? No, I wish. That's the only thing that's <laughs> missing. <laughs> that it's nothing like La Rosa de Guadalupe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. And it's, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Top two, but not two. Top two, but not two. What does that mean? That it's what? It's like my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is number one. <laughs> and like, I really encourage a lot of people to read it and watch it. And what's really interesting about this is just, um, I grew up, especially from like my mom's side, um, with a lot of stories about re- the revolution. And did you? I don't know. Yeah, like that's the thing, Ricardo. You were always working with dad. I had to hang out with mom, bro. And it wasn't really your choice in the matter. You no, 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 no. Just curious. I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Do we know anybody so, old enough to be in the revolution? Maybe our great-grandma was born in the revolution. I don't recall her maybe ever. No, my mom told me stories well, about me, Bisao, Wella. That's great-grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Well, our great-grandma like, died but basically at 100. She died at 100, but if she died in like 2013, that means she was born in 1913. That means she was like five years old during the revolution. Yeah. Okay. And her mother would tell her stories. Okay, uh, so then there's, stories. Okay, okay. there's there's always a narrative, and this is like what I really appreciate about it is just that like the whole storytelling, uh-huh. and our stories are kept alive through telling each other. It like our not, narratives yeah, are no, kept alive. There's no written. There's no um. Like we don't have like no novel. We don't have no. ancestry.com. We don't have ancestry.com. <laughs> no, we do not. And so my mom would tell it would tell me stories about how me bisabuela. And, like, her mom and her family, they would, like, they would run away um, and hide during the daytime. And then during the night, they would go and make tortillas con sal because they were all, like, really, really poor. Because that's just something you eat when you're super poor. Same. Same. (laughs) And they would do it really, really quiet. They would do it quietly. And then they would just, like, eat them. And if they heard horses, um, they would... They would hide and they would leave their food and they would leave all their equipment and then they would just what equipment? Hopefully, then well, their equipment to make tortillas. You can't just make. <laughs> you can't leave that behind. <laughs> you sacrifice the children. You take the. <laughs> what if they take it? Then you'd starve to death. What are you going? Okay, sorry. Go on. <laughs> but yeah, and so like because like the people of the revolution as well as like the government people like they would just. Honestly, they would just steal, like, all the, like, or, like, take all the men in the family and boys above the age of, like, 14, and they would take them to fight, and then they would, like, rape, like, all the women but and the stuff. Men. Not, well... So you don't know. We don't know about <laughs> the men. We we can't be... We can't just erase male rape <laughs> out of the narrative, got, because it's, it's probably got, a narrative. <laughs> it got kind of dark. Okay, it got on. really dark. Got, but, <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, like... Um, okay, so with the Mexican Revolution and all this other stuff, it's just mm-hmm. really interesting to like hear 
like watch this film and then like remember all the stories that my mom told me and like my, our grandma or abuelita like she was the youngest of all the girls and she like actually accepted it within herself to like because there's a tradition in her family that she was never going to get married but her mm-hmm. mother died like when she was like fairly young like 27 mm-hmm. and then they and then she had to get married because it's very unsafe for like especially and our grandmother is indigenous mm-hmm. it's especially unsafe for like indigenous women to um live alone mm-hmm. and she her and her sister like real quick within like a span of like three days had to get married with some random person same and yeah i don't know it was just really me. interesting the book's really interesting me when i'm alone and desperate Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> gets engaged within three days okay but, <laughs> so, yeah and so <laughs> me when i find somebody i get i connect with on tinder <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> i'm like you. totally creating a mockery of, of like the dark of, of <laughs> our dark ancestry <laughs> history <laughs> like <laughs> like you, you you have to bring it back somehow you gotta show you gotta bring show, it back you, you to gotta you gotta calm it down <laughs> and put some water on the wounds <laughs> some salt some tequila. salt <laughs> salt and alcohol but, <laughs> a real medicine <laughs> but okay and that is all i really have to say about it beautiful wonderful gorgeous and we're about running out of time mm. right now yeah i thought we were going on for a little bit longer we are going on for a little bit longer Just other episodes like, yeah but the thing is like Right now, we just wanted to break things down, explain, make introductions, explain ourselves in our Let's next go episode. for like three hours. Three hours. <laughs> Ricardo drank like a very large Dutch Bros. Caramelizer. Caramelizer. Shout out Dutch Bros. Shout out Dutchie. Dutchie. <laughs> Kiss, kisses. Yes. TQM. Besitos, besitos. Besitos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in our next episodes, we will be discussing and analyzing concepts, theories, of Prince. The correlation between Prince and Trump. <laughs> they have more in common than we believe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> but in the better ways. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting into this anymore. <laughs> and we would just like to thank the Emerald for... Who's that? <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> shout out journalism. Shout out free press. Shout, shout out, out fake news. Shout out, but not shout out fake news. Shout out, but not shout out fake news because we're trying to promote real news because it's the real news that's, I don't know. Making FD, it F, happen. FDT. FDT. That's what I got to say. <laughs> Drop the mic. And just as like a little. Mm-hmm. Because I forgot to do this during the beginning of the episode, so we will do that in the, do this in the end, um, just so like no one gets it like twisted, twisted, like, like heat sweat, like no one gets it twisted, like heat sweat. We are, we are, we are what? 
We are pro Black Lives Matter. We are oh, yeah. pro um, transgender. Yeah, to clarify that I'm a little sarcastic. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We're not actually Trump supporters. Yeah, we're uh, not. We're not just like the two Trump supporters that happen to get a mic. <laughs> 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 uh, only two. Like we're the Latino Trump supporters at the back of his like. We're the white. We're the we're the white supremacists that are brown. <laughs> that are brown. We we mix the Confederate flag with the Mexican flag. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, we're pro Selena. I feel like we should put that in there. Yeah. Yes, pro Selena. But like even. But Amer- Selena Q. Huh? Selena Q. Not I'm I'm not a, I'm not too much of a big fan of Selena Selena Gomez. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um what Wizard of Waverly Place? You're not about it. How are you not about it? You're not gang gang. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I swear. Almost made me almost made me pick up smoking. <laughs> I don't Q, even Selena know why. Q, Selena Q. Favorite track of Selena, really fast. Of Selena Q? Yeah. yeah. Um, el chico de oh, no, no, apartamentos. No, no. Selena Gomez. Oh, can't keep my ha- my hands to myself. Okay, I don't. We, like I said, <laughs> I actually have downloaded all her tracks. I'm a huge fan. And this is where we can trash. She's top. She's she's top two, but not two. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, pro Black Lives Matter. We are pro um, transgender rights, LGBTQ. Yes, I yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, we are also. We're pro- pretty much that poster you see off the gentrified uh, houses. In North Portland, <laughs> <laughs> that little one. We're like we we love our neighbors who are Muslim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we welcome everybody who is this is uh, Black Lives Matter. In our America, we are Black Lives Matter. Gays have rights. LGBTQs have rights. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're pretty much all that, and we're brown. So and we're brown. So we so, so like, we probably <laughs> really mean it. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> there's no like if you touch us on a certain topic, we're gonna be a little. Eh. Mm. We're gonna no. We're gonna be no, like, like no, it's like, basically mm. like if it's human rights, we're for it. We don't want to take away basic. But we're human but rights. we're down for t- entitlement of any uh, other sort of uh, progressive. But yes, what what is it? But we are anti gentrification, which we will hit in another episode, and how that intersects with Woodburn. The burns, the burns, the burns. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for tuning in to Orchata yes, Squad. Orchata Squad. Um, and we're both lactose, so <laughs> yeah, we're both lactose intolerant. But you know, we can't, I we still, can't let that stop us. I still us. fuck with ochata, though. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we I'm, have a ranking. <laughs> <laughs> the ochata's trash ain't coming back. <laughs> thank um, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will, we'll be back in our next episode. Catch us, out, catch us like Frank Ocean. <laughs> no, not like Frank Ocean. <laughs> he didn't come back for a very long time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> TQM, TQM, besitos. Besitos, besitos. Okay, bye.
Music featured in this episode is La Chona by Los Tucanes de Tijuana, as well as Fertilizer by Frank Ocean. You can find other podcasts by the Emerald Podcast Network on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you find your podcasts, and you can stream them directly from the Daily Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening.